Welcome to Momentum Church. All right, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And um, as we get into this, I don't know about y'all, but I like when I read the scriptures and I come across a promise from God. How many like the promises of the Lord? Amen? I like it. I love to hear the promises of God. I want to read and embrace that I'm the head and not the tail. Amen? I'm above and not beneath. I I want that. Amen? That I can do all things through Christ who... I want that. Amen? I do. I love the promise. I want to receive every single thing that God wants for me. And as a shepherd of this house, guess what? I want our church people to walk in everything Father has for you. I don't want you to miss one blessing that God has. Now, in John chapter 15, verse 16, there's a popular promise that we often hear people say, and I want to just read it real quick, and we're going to go from there. It says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Ooh, that'll, that'll preach, as they say, amen? That, that's one of those, as a, as a preacher, you call that a, like a, a meatball pitch. Man, you can just home run hit that thing. You know, it's like, oh, whatever you ask. You're going through some sickness, you just ask, and you'll receive your healing. You're going through some financial difficulty, come on. You just ask. The money's coming. You all look skeptical. <laughs> you should. You, you're single and you want a husband? You just ask, the honey's coming. You married and you want to be single? Don't you ask. Don't, don't. That don't work that way. <laughs> no, but, but we, we want all that we can receive from God. We do. I think every one of us is that way. We read those promises and we want to walk in it. But at times when it comes to receiving the promises of God, if we're honest, the struggle is real. I want you to pick up that rock right there. Right there. Oh, oh, no, turn around, turn around. Stop, walk forward, two steps. One, two, stop, 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 stop. Turn to your right. That's your left, to your right. Stop, right there, keep going. Walk forward, forward, forward. Walk forward, come towards me. Come here. No, walk this way. Keep going, keep going, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, which way is right? Nope, other way. Okay. See that rock right there on the ground? Look down. See, now look up just a little bit. Right there, no, look down. No, the rock. Pick up the rock on the ground. Like the biggest rock around, it's right by your left. No, no, behind you. Behind you, the other rock. Turn around, nope, nope, the other rock. Ransom, Ransom, turn around. Walk this way a little bit. Ransom, come towards Dad. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. Stop. Bend down. It's that rock right on the ground to your right. No, your other right. Other right. Other right. Turn the other way. Look down. That big rock right there. 
That one, yeah, that one. Get that rock. No, down. Look down. Look down. Look down. That one right between. Yeah, your foot's on it. Pick that one up. Yes. Good job. It took you a minute and forty-two seconds. Bring it here. All right. Isn't that good? A minute and 42 seconds. For some of us receiving some of the things Father wants for us, it's only been like 22 years, three months, two days, and 33 seconds, you know. No, but, but that's how it is. What God wants, Father wants us to find this. He wants us to walk in what he has for us, but so often we're not in a place to hear his voice. We're not in a place to be able to respond to his leading. And the thing about that is, like a good father, desiring to lead you to what he desires for you the issue isn't in the leading the issue is in the listening you know he's good he, he, he's setting us up to walk in all that he has but we have got to put ourselves in a place where we can hear the father we got to put ourselves in a place where we can sense his direction his leading his guidance you know you could tell he wasn't being ugly I love that he was just, ransom, ransom, ransom. Come on, ransom. You know, we, we got to position ourselves in a place where we can hear the encouragement of the Father, you know? The leading, the prodding, and so on of, of, of Dad, of God, of our Heavenly Father. And so in this scripture, John 15, it's easy to jump to those verses. We saw it last week, if you ask anything. We see it multiple times in this chapter if you ask anything if you ask anything we see it you know and that's a, a true promise from god but most of the time in scripture the promises of god are conditional if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that god raised christ from the dead you will be so salvation's the promise the condition is confessing with your mouth and believing and i've taught you before belief isn't just i believe it's allegiance that, that Greek word for belief is really an allegiance. And so if I have an allegiance and I speak this forth, then I will be saved. So there's a condition to walking in the promise. It's that way all through Scripture. I have the promised land for you. But you're going to have to go in and possess the land. And you're going to have to take care of this. And when you take these idols and all this stuff, destroy all that. Don't, don't keep any of it. And if you remember the Scripture, they kept some. They're an AI, and they were defeated. They weren't able to, to, to continue to win their battles. You know, so the promises of God are often conditional. So as I was reading this scripture a few weeks ago, it hit me that in this scripture, your eyes light upon the blessings, because we love blessings. And there are three blessings in this passage of scripture. Your eyes, as you read it and you start to open your heart, though, you're going to see that there are three challenges also in this scripture. And it begins with those, 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 um, those challenges. And then finally, you're going to find one commandment. So everybody say three blessings, say three challenges, and one commandment. That's how this whole passage is broken down, that one commandment being in the middle of those blessings and those challenges. And so I want to walk through this with us together today. Let's start with the blessings. Number one, you are a friend of God. Oh, that feels good. Amen. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Oh, I love that. I'm your, your friend. There's another passage, if I recall right, it's in Galatians, where God 
where Paul wrote, you know, under the inspiration of the Lord. And he said that, that when you become a slave to God, you're no longer a slave. But when you become a slave to God, you're now a son. This is very similar. I think it's the same nuance. That when you are a servant to the master, because he is in charge, amen? But when you're a servant to the master, he doesn't see you as your servant. He sees you as a friend at that point. I think it's very similar in the nuance. It's speaking of an intimacy and relationship. Because a servant, although he does the bidding of the master, he doesn't have the heart of the master. It's a job. It's duty. It's doing. Say doing. But man, with a friend, having a good friend, isn't that like effortless? I mean, even when you get in fights, you know? I, I tell you, years ago, I got into it with Jason Coltis on the hiking trail. And my, he threw a stick back and knocked my hearing aid off. And my hearing aid will make noise for just a little bit. And then the feedback eliminator shuts the noise down. I can't hear where sound comes from. So I'm already at a disadvantage, and I know this hearing aid's gonna get quiet. And he didn't realize he did it. He walks, Mitch and I are back here. Mitch is a kind, really good man. <laughs> and so Mitch and I are trying to find this thing while it's still whistling, and Jason's coming back, and he, what, what, what are you doing? What are you, shh, Jason, shh. What are you doing, what are you, shh, what are you, shh. I, I, I hate to tell you this, but the truth of the matter is I may have said a potty word to Jason at that moment. Shut up! You need to be quiet. We're trying to find this. But even when you're fighting, there's a comfortability there with friends. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, I'm not saying it's completely effortless, but a good friend, kind of like, and you're going to laugh at me when I say this, but all the ladies will get this, kind of like an Anne of Green Gables, Diane, bosom friend. Are you calling Jason your Diane? No, that would be ridiculous. Yes, kind of. No, okay. No, but, and I've got a lot of good friends in the church. I'm just thinking of them because we were hiking. But, um, and Amy should be proud of me. She brought me up in the ways of Green Gables. So, no, but a, a bosom friend. You know, just somebody that's close like that. You know, there's a comfortability. You know, when you think of friendship, it's a reciprocal relationship between two people who share a bond of mutual affection. That's friendship. And that friendship can be described in a few ways. One, you know and you understand each other. You just, you just know each other. Even when things are a little contrary at times or different than your will, you, you kind of, I understand them. I understand their heart. That's how friendship is. You have similar interests and similar passions when you have friends. I have friends that I metal detect with and friends that I hike with and friends that I ride motorcycles with and friends that I play cards with and friends, you know what I mean? Like passions and interests. When it comes to a friend, your speech often will start to sound like each other. Words like inside jokes and things that only y'all get, you know? Or, or, or words that, that maybe you didn't know until they introduced you to them and now they become very common to you. Friends, friendships like that. I'll hear Grant, my son, my 20-year-old, talking to another person his age that's a friend. And I can remember thinking, I'm always going to be down with the slang. 
You know what I mean? That's tight, right? Yeah, that's 20 years ago. But I remember thinking that 15 years ago. I always understand the slang of the... They're talking, and they're all like, sus this and that, that. And I'm like, I have no clue what any of this means. I learned sus means suspicious. Oh, that's sus. But it's like listening to like these friends. But they're friends, so they have this common language, you know? Friends, you feel like yourself when you're around them. There's a sense of comfort when you're around your, your closest friends. And so here's what's so neat about this, is this is a blessing that God is inviting you into this friendship. He's saying that you are my friend. You're not just a servant and you're not a slave. You can know the heart of the master because you're my friend. We can have similar interests. And if you don't have the interest of the father, you haven't spent enough time with him yet. That's all. As you spend more time with him, his interests start to rub off on you. You struggle with your language, spend time with him. And next thing you know, it starts to rub off on you. Those passions, he'll give you those passions. You, you, I mean, that idea of feeling comfortable. I can remember when Amy and I were first married. I'd been pa- preaching about two years at that point. And we get married, and it was about 10 years before we came here. And so in 12 years of ministry, 10 years of marriage, I was very uncomfortable in the presence of God with my wife. Why? Because we didn't have that friendship like that. It was something that we had to begin to experience and spend time with. And after a while, you start to feel like yourself in there. What's neat is it's not just feeling like yourself. You start to feel more like him in there. You begin to be changed. And now, being with my wife in prayer or my wife in the word, it is so much more comfortable than it was. Isn't that true, Amy? Like, like man, I was, I was like a nervous cat, you know? Like, like, I just was when I was younger in that, I don't know Why? wasn't natural but now we have a friendship with god that's part of our marriage that is very much feels like us does it make sense why because he's a friend to our marriage and so it's very comfortable and we all have those kinds of friends that we're just comfortable with but i do believe this is speaking of something a little deeper than just friendship i believe this is speaking of the promise of covenant of covenant and here's the reason why because abraham this is a promise of covenant. In Isaiah 41, 8, God speaks to Israel, calling them descendants of Abraham, my friend. Isn't that good? In James 2, 23, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. It's a, it's a sign of covenant, this friendship. Why? Because you're a friend to a king, somebody. Man. And so everything in covenant, when you're a friend, you know the old saying, you mess with one person in the trailer park, you get the whole trailer park. You know what I'm saying? When you have Jesus in your life, man, he's king. And and now you have this covenant relationship. So everything at his disposal is at your disposal. His peace, your peace. His strength, your strength. Comfort of that friend of yours, your comfort. And it goes all the way back to Abraham. When he gave him the promises that he would make him this great nation of which you are a part of spiritually through Jesus. And so I want you to see that this is about covenant with the friend that we have that is called God, literally the creator of the universe. Your friend. Oh, that's a blessing and a half. 
I won't go that long on all these blessings, but the second blessing is a two-part blessing, and it's in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. So the second blessing is you are chosen and appointed. Chosen and appointed. What's neat about the word chosen, and you thought you chose to follow Jesus. You did. You did. You made a conscious, willful decision to submit your life to Jesus. But God knew and began to woo you to himself from the moment you, like literally sin became to be a part of your life, which is like 18 months old. Trust me, it has to be. God had a plan. Now, as a church, are we a church that believes in predestination? Yes, sort of. I believe that God definitely knows everything that's going to happen from the beginning to the end. Amen? But he is such that he is God, so powerful, so able, that he also allows you this ability to make that choice. Isn't that neat? Because if it wasn't that way, then God would send people to literally, I'm going to choose this one for heaven, I'm going to choose this one for hell, I'm going to choose this one for heaven, I'm going to choose this one for hell. And so I don't believe in predestination that way. Amen? And so we would probably fall a little bit more along the lines of what's called Arminianism, which is basically the idea of free will, that you have a choice to follow Jesus. Now, this wasn't planned. I, I did talk this in the first service, so I'll just share it with you guys too. Even though we believe in free will, we are not what's called Pelagians, all right? We, we don't believe a mental ascent that we just choose to follow Jesus, and in making that decision, that's that. You know, it's a very conscious choice. That, no, no, there's a work of the Holy Spirit that's drawing you. There's a work of the Holy Spirit that's saving you, that's cleaning you up. It's not just your own mental ascent, all right? Pelagianism came out of the, the Greek Gnostic kind of philosophies led up to that, 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 that kind of belief system of, of just self-will, which I think is humanism as well. So, so we're not Pelagianists. But on the other side, I don't believe that God is saying some of these people need to go to heaven and some of these people need to go to hell. And in them going to hell and them going to heaven, it gives glory to my name. Oh, that's capricious. I don't believe that. But I believe God knows because he wouldn't be God if he didn't. Amen? So he knows from the beginning to the end, but you still have a choice to make. But here's what I'm getting at. He chose you. So choice, when it comes to being chosen, that's a matter of acceptance. He accepts you. And if you're here today and you're walking after Christ, or maybe you come in today and you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're watching online and you haven't begun a relationship with Jesus, God accepts you right where you are right now. Whether, whether you're still tore up from the floor up or not, messed up from the chest up or not. Amen? He accepts you. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to leave you there. Because it says here that you're chosen, so he, accept, he, 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 he accepts you. But then it says you're appointed. Say appointed. Well, what's that, pastor? I'll tell you. So he accepts you, but then he places you in an office for purpose. He places you in a position to move in his authority and his anointing. Amen? That's what appointment is. So yes, you are accepted just as you are. He has chosen you, whether you were the, 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 the dregs of society or you were at the pinnacle of society. Either way, it doesn't matter. The ground at the cross is even. Amen? It's level. And so he accepts you, but he accepts you because he has a purpose for you. And so now he moves you into appointment. 
And he's got a blessing to put purpose in your life, call in your life, work for the Lord in your life, something you're going to do for the kingdom in your life. Amen? Is that good? And so that's the promise that he's given to us. And so I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. That's, that's the second set of promises. The third blessing that we can walk in is this. Whatever you ask God, God will provide. And we, we, we see there's some caveats to that. But that is the blessing. John 15, 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The key to that verse is in my name, in the name of Jesus. And you know, coming back from a Pentecostal background, I can't tell you how many times I heard somebody say, in the mighty name of Jesus. On the backside of some prayer that was so far removed from the will and heart of God, it wasn't even funny. But somehow I'm going to say on the end of it, some, I'm just going to say it. If I can remember how you said it, can 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 who said it? Can Thank you. My word was, my mouth was not working. Incantation. I'm going to say on the end of some statement outside of God's best in that moment, because I haven't taken the time to hear his best, because I haven't been listening. I've been just finding and looking for the rocks I want. All right. But I'm going to say on the end of it, in the name of Jesus, and somehow I'm going to twist God's arm and make him do what I want him to do. Who's God in this mix? Who's master, who's servant that he wants to call friend, but you're acting more like a servant? Does that make sense? Because we can become very transactional with God, and if you want to be transactional, you'll stay a servant. I'm doing this, God, I'm doing this, God, I'm doing that. Now I expect you, God, I expect you. You know, that's not like a master-servant relationship. I want a friendship where I know his heart. In other words, when I'm praying in the name of Jesus, it's because I know his character. And his character as my friend is being shaped in me. I know his desires. And his desires, I'm his friend. So his desires are being shaped in me. I know his purposes and passions because I'm his friend. And his purposes and passions are being shaped in in me. So now when I pray and I ask in his name, in other words, according to his character and his desires and his purpose and his passion and his will, yes, then I can have this expectation to walk in everything he desires for me. And so that's the third blessing, asking and receiving provision from God. But there's three challenges. Again, three things that we are called to do that would cause those promises, if you will, to be considered conditional. I want to give you these blessings, but are you going to walk in this kind of relationship that it's not that it earns those blessings, but it positions you? Does that make sense? It it, it makes you like a funnel ready to receive all that God has for you. It's not that you're earning. it's, it's, It's all about relationship, posturing, moving closer to a place of intimacy with God. And so that's where we head now. The first one, we see John 15, verse 1. We'll start there. The first one is abide in me. Abide in me. This is a challenge. We're supposed to abide in Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This picture of the vine and grapes in general is really important to the nation of Israel at this time. For, for over 3,000 years, the idea that I'm going to send you into a promised land that is flowing with milk and honey, and you have the pictures of clusters of grapes, that mindset. Many theologians will say that when it says milk and honey, the honey actually wasn't bee nectar. What the honey was, it was a byproduct of grapes that they would cook down in such a way that would create a sweet, sweet, thick substance. I'm going to call it Jordan jelly. I don't, I don't know. But, but a sweet substance, and some in that region at that time would call that honey. Now, I'm not sure if that's the case or not, but I do know in those eras, the picture of a vine and the clusters of grapes became very, very key to imagery in Israel at that time. By, by 2,500 years ago, during the Maccabean period, the coins of Israel would have a vine on those coins. By the time Jesus comes, there at Herod's temple, above the entrance of the temple coming in, there was golden wire, thick golden wire, intertwined with beads, valued at millions of dollars in today's standard, that adorned the temple. This idea of this vine. And what it did is it, it spoke to their wealth, their provision, all that they had. This land that flows with milk and honey. This land that flows with all this vegetation and wine and etc. And so it was a, a mark of their, their provision. It was a mark of their um, arrival, if you will. And so Israel appeared outwardly healthy. But guys, by the time Jesus came, they were spiritually withered. And so that's why Jesus declares what in verse 1? I am the true vine. Do you catch that? He was speaking out against this imagery of prosperity and ability and all that they had. And he's saying, no, no, I'm the true vine. And if you really want to be spiritually fruitful, you've got to abide in me. You've got to stay connected to me. I am how you will have fruit and bear much fruit. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Now here's something beautiful about abiding. Abiding has not as much to do with doing as it does with being. I'm not, as your pastor, telling you today, do more. I want you to abide in the vine, so you just need to do more. Read more, pray more, give more, serve more, do more. Whew. Where are you out? Abiding's not about doing. Abiding's about being. Abiding's about knowing that you're in this intimate relationship with God. And yes, doing will flow out of that, but that's not the motivation. The motivation is, is being in this connection with God. Where you hear his voice and you learn to respond better to hearing his voice. You hear his heart. I remember in James it says that if you ask anything knowing that he hears, that he will do it. And the Lord gave me an on-the-fly illustration for that years ago. If Amy's in another room 
and she hollers out a request to me, she can't have confidence because I may or may not hear it. If anyone knows that he hears, they can ask what they will, and it'll be done, right? So what does she have to do to be sure that, I know, that she can know that I'm hearing her? She has to draw close to me. She has to come closer in proximity. Does that make sense? Now, with pro- especially with my deafness, now she has to almost sit on my lap to tell me something. I mean, it's like I can't hardly hear anything at times. But she has to come close in proximity. And then she can, like, I, if I'm looking at you, you know, and I'm like, hey, I need this. Hey, Kristen, can you hand me that? No, you're pregnant. Don't hand me that. You know? But I, I, I know she heard me because she's right there. There's proximity. Does that make sense? That's what I'm talking about. Intimacy with God is what abiding is. It's being close to him. It's not just doing more. It's drawing closer to him. It's an intimate relationship with him. <clears throat> and the, the relationship is more important than the things we do or don't do. Now, I want to give you some definitions of abide. Number one, abide is to dwell. I don't just visit my house. I abide at my house. I dwell at my house. It's not temporary. So abiding would be that. It would be the idea that, that, you know what? On Monday morning, I'm dwelling in the presence of God. And Tuesday as well. And Tuesday evening and Wednesday. It's not, I go to service on Sunday and I visit the presence of God. And I live a disconnected life. I'm not even going to say you're sinning. We can live disconnected and still live moral. Morality doesn't send you to heaven. Right? Oh, I thought it did. No, no, no. Jesus, he sends us to heaven. His, his shed blood. But we can live in such a way that we're just not connected. The last thought on our mind. Have you ever had a friend call you? Be like two months. Hey, I haven't heard from you in forever. And you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I'm so, I, I just, you don't want to say like, the, the phone goes both ways, buddy. But it's true. You're just like, what kind of friend am I? You know, it it happens. Out of sight, out of... It's not abiding, at least with the presence of God. And that happens. He gets out of sight, out of mind for us. Not him, us. And now it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And next thing you know, it's Saturday. And you're like, oh my gosh, I better get holy. I got church tomorrow. I better get things squared away. I better draw close. No, to dwell. The second thing is to remain fixed in a fixed state. Remaining in a, I'm not fickle in this abiding with Jesus. It's a fixed state. The third thing is just remaining in his presence when it comes to abiding. So that's the first thing. The first challenge, abide in him. All right? The second challenge that he gives is let my words abide in you. So we're going to abide in him. And then he wants everything that he is teaching, instructing, giving us, he wants that to have its place in us. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Then it goes on to the promise. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And you know what? We can use the same definition of abide for this. So I'm going to allow God's words to dwell in me. You know what? 
Allie was talking about anxiety and fear and how she was embarrassed that it's coming back around. Man, I get that. That does happen. But she's allowing God's word to dwell. I may feel anxious, but his word says to be anxious for nothing. And so I feel the anxiety, but I'm holding on to his word, and I'm going to hold on to that word. And Jesus, you delivered me once from this. You'll deliver me again because I can make my prayers and my supplications known to you. And you say that God, that that, that peace that passes all understanding, that your Holy Spirit will come. And like a sentinel, like a soldier, you'll stand guard in front of my heart. Oh, I hold on to that word. I'm letting that word dwell with me. Amen? Man, finances are tight, but God, I know I've been faithful in my giving, and I'm just going to hold on to your word that if I seek first your kingdom, everything will be added back unto me. And I trust and know that you have concern on all the things I'm going through, and I believe it, and I trust it. I'm not going to get too worked up over it. I'm going to rest in your peace. I'm going to let your word abide in me. Ooh, that girl at work is hot, but you're married. Everybody look at me. And so you look, and you're thinking to yourself, I can look again, but you turn. You know what, God, your word says that you will not allow me to have a temptation that you will not provide a way of escape for. And so right now, God, I embrace the way of escape. I'm going to let your word dwell in me. I'm going to let your word, remember we said be fixed, a state that's fixed. I'm going to let your word be fixed in me. I'm not going to be fickle in this moment. I'm going to let your word hold me fast. I'm going to abide in you. I'm going to let your word abide in me. And I'm going to walk in the fruit of righteousness. See how that works? And so it's important. Now, abiding in the word I do believe is reading. Because you won't have it if you don't read it. But abiding in the word, I do believe, is meditating on his word. Because you won't remember it if you don't memorize it, if you don't begin to put it in there. And so all that is important. I'm not saying the doing's not. I'm just saying abiding is finding that place of intimacy. And in that place of intimacy, all that doing takes place. It's not the other way around. And the things about the word is we're not called to be hearers of God's word, but doers. And this means God's word. If we're doers of God's word, I just said a little bit ago, you'll bear the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of peace or the fruit of patience or the fruit. Everybody say fruit. That's the the next one. So I'm going to abide in him. I'm going to let his word abide in me. Number three, I'm going to be fruitful, bear fruit. That's a challenge that Jesus gave us. Verse five, I am the vine. You are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. It is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. I want to stop there. It is he who bears much fruit. I love that, and here's why. Just like the name of our church is Momentum, we pick that because it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual walk. You come in here an atheist. You come in here a Satanist. Whatever. You can find momentum from day one. That's just a little inertia for your journey. That's all it is. You come in here after going to seminary. You come in here after serving God 50 years like, like the Gaithers, the missionaries that retired and moved here years ago. Guess what? Pastor Mike would tell me all the time, I learned so much around here. I'm just blown away. I'm like, you've been in ministry 50 years. But he picked up momentum around here. This, you younger people gave him fresh life around here. And so he had momentum. Well, it's the same way. Well, I have fruit. Yeah, but this says here... He it is that bears much fruit. So in other words, you have fruit, you can bear more fruit. 
You, don't, you have a lot of fruit, you can still bear much fruit, more fruit. No fruit, you can begin to bear fruit. I just love that it's just, God has a challenge for us to be fruitful. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Here's what it says in verse 8 about bearing fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So that fruit that we bear is proof that we're following him. Why? Because we're acting like our friend. We're doing the works of our friend. We're following the passions and pursuits of our friend. He's shaping our passions and our pursuits. That's what it means to be a follower. We're keeping in step with him. They would talk about keeping so close in step to their rabbi that the dust of the rabbi's sandals would be upon their cloaks. That's how close. They wanted to take every step with the rabbi. So that's what he's saying. I want you to be my disciple Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So you can see how all these things kind of come together. And that's the three challenges. Now I'm going to give you one commandment and we're going to get out of here. The one commandment is this, love one another as I have loved you. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so you have three blessings, three challenges, and dead in the middle of those is this command. It's this command. And I I don't think it's an accident that the commandment of love, that love is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And God's all over this telling us to be fruitful, be fruitful, be fruitful. And he puts right in the middle of this great fruit of love because being loving people, um, all people, as he's loved us, that's a challenge. That's a challenge that will shape us. That's a challenge that will drive us to abide. I'm supposed to love everyone as you've loved everyone. There's people I struggle with. Okay, well, come. Come abide. Come get my heart. Come get my strength. Come get my passion, my purpose. Let's let's abide. You see why that's in the middle there? Because love gets challenged. So we abide, and then we let his word abide. And then we're fruitful, and love is expressed. Now, here's the thing I tell couples when I marry them often. I'll say that the husband's supposed to love the wife as Christ loves the church. And I'll look to the husband and I'll say, how does Jesus love the church? Well, he laid his life down for the church. The scripture says, no greater love hath a man than to lay his life down. And so he laid his life down. Why? So that you can have life and have life more abundant. And so I'll look at that man and I'll say, I want you every day to think of ways to bring an abundance of life to this woman. That's loving others the way God has loved us. I want us, as we are biding in Christ, that command, I want us to allow God to shape our hearts in such a way that we're more like him, living a life every day that's not about us, but it's about others. Living our lives in such a way that we are looking for opportunity to bring abundance of life to people that we're in contact with. And I don't want it to flow out of just doing. I want it to flow out of your being. That's why we're abiding. That's why we're allowing who he is to shape us. And out of that being, man, God just will give opportunity after opportunity for himself to be seen, says here in the scripture, so that he would be glorified when we give those fruits, when we are fruitful. And I'm going to conclude with this. 
John 15, 13, you are my friends. We started with that. So important to know that friendship. But then there's the, the, the caveat. Here's the condition. You are my friends if. That's heavy. There's an invitation of blessing. But there's definitely a level of responsibility of challenge for us to embrace. You are my friends if you do what I command. And what we see in the scripture is he is telling us to abide in him, to abide in his word, to bear fruit, and to love others as he has loved us. And so I would just challenge us to think through that. Where am I at in dwelling in his presence? Where am I at in allowing his word to dwell? And I'm not fickle and back and forth with his word, but I, I'm fixated on it. Where am I at with that? You know? How, how, what's the fruitfulness of my life? Can I look at my life and say that there's fruitfulness for the kingdom? Or is everything about me? That's not how my friend Jesus is. So why would I be like that if that's how, not how my friend Jesus is? If I spend time with him and abide, guess what? I'm going to start acting more like Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to love people just like God loved me. And in doing so, his fruitfulness will come. And in doing so, God will be glorified. And so, yes, the then, you have the promise, but the then, if we know that, here's all that you have to have in two verses. John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. There's the condition and the promise. Verse 16 and 17, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command so that you will love one another. And here's the thing about the things that he's commanding us to do. They cause us to be shaped. To love somebody is difficult. And so it causes us to go into that place of abiding to where God can begin to shape who we are in that place. And then that fruit can be done and seen outside of that place of intimacy with God. In that place of intimacy with God, the mind of Christ begins to be formed in you. The passions of Christ, the purposes of Christ begin to be formed in you. And the other thing that happens when you get used to being in that place, in the presence of God, something shifts in your confidence. Queen Elizabeth just passed, and now we have King Charles. But you know what's wild about that? Any king, any king. If a king is on his throne, and people come into the throne room, they come in with all kinds of protocols. All kinds of protocols. They come in feeling a little awkward. They come in feeling a little undone. They come in feeling a little bit like, am I going to mess something up? But guess who doesn't come into that room that way? The king's kids. They're just the children of the king. They're comfortable in the throne room. They come into the throne room. That's pop. That's dad. They make their way up to the, to the throne and climb up into king dad's lap. And that's dad. Why? Because they dwell in that kingdom. They dwell in that throne room. They dwell with that king being their dad. And guess what? That's what abiding is. God wants us to abide in him in such a clear way that confidence rises in us that we have a right to be in the throne room. 
Then we can ask what we desire and God will do. Why? Because we have a right to be there. We have a confidence there. We've grown into that place. Does that make sense? Oh, I love that. And so I want us to be a people that just get real comfortable in the throne room of God. Amen? And that happens when we learn to abide in Him. If this morning you're here and you've never began a relationship with Jesus... Man, Jesus wants you to abide in him, but what's neat is he's going to abide in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come live within you, and that's the strength you've been looking for, the peace you've been looking for, the encouragement you've been looking for. And so all you have to do is come to faith in Jesus, believing that he is who he said he is, and asking forgiveness for your sins. If you're here or if you're watching online, if that's you, raise your hand if you're here, anybody in this room. And yes, I didn't have you bow your heads and close your eyes. There's nothing to be embarrassed about this. This is exciting. If you're watching online, there's a link in the comments that you can click. If you're making that decision so we can follow up with you, get you something that can help pour into you um, more as you're on your journey. For all of us that are in the room, if you're here today and you're like, you know what, Ross? I want to abide more. There's things in my life I feel like I'm missing and I want to abide more. I just want us, like, kind of, I'm going to do this. I just want us to kind of like a funnel to hold our hands like this to receive from the Lord. Amen? And I just want to have a prayer with us today. Jesus, you see us submitted to you. And we do. We ask for more of your presence, more of your leading in, in, in your presence, Lord, that we'd find more of your purpose and passion, who you are, shape who we are, God, I pray that we can have your word abide in us, that we can be fruitful for your glory, that your love can be expressed in such a way that you are glorified and people will know that we are your disciples. We ask this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said a big amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.